0: minehead baptist church sermon podcast for sunday the 5th of february 2023 hello and welcome thank you once again for joining me my name's james and i'm the web guy here at mbc this week paul continued our series looking at lessons from joshua and he was looking at following god's battle plan and the reading is joshua chapter six so we'll go and join paul as he's introducing the service
1: and welcome to my baptist church i see lots of friendly faces around so it's lovely to see you uh, welcome and welcome online if this is your first time with us or if you have been with us forever and call this home you are welcome the notices for this morning are as per the sheet that you should have either received electronically or in paper form um if you'd like to receive that uh, Email. Sorry, if you'd like to receive the notices in a PDF form or the church directory in that form too, can you contact the church office? There's a couple of notices. One is to say that tomorrow's prayers, uh, the 9:30 prayers that are normally at the hub, will be here this week Um, because the hub. uh, Well, in actual fact, the uh, the meter's being changed at the hub, so there's no gas or electric. Therefore, part of the morning. So our prayers tomorrow, instead of being at the hub, will be here at 9.30. Everyone's warmly invited. It's a lively prayer time, and it'll be really good to see you. And then to say that after this morning's service, we have what we've called a newcomer's lunch, which is a grand way of saying if you're new to NBC and you've come in the past year or two and you've never been to one of these lunches before and you'd like to get to know us a bit better please come and share some lunch come and stay and come and find out all about us as we find out all about you I have a really informal setting lunch someone asked me this morning is the lunch free um, the answer is yes there's just a donations bowl so if you've not come prepared and you've not got any money you've not have to you don't have to worry just come and share lunch and let's uh, let's chat together find out more about each other. That's if you're new to the church. So, those of you that would call this home, okay, bless you, you're lovely. But there won't be enough food to feed you all. So, if we could do that, that would be brilliant. Thank you very much. Having said that, there is enough food to feed an army of newcomers. And that word army is amazing, isn't it? This week in my own time of quiet and prayer, I've been pondering. And obviously, as we look at the subject of today, God's battle plan, those verses that speak of the battle plan of God have come flooding back to my mind. In fact, and then I'll hand over to Sue as we start the worship, which I ponder. Maybe they're ours for this moment. Joshua is told this, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 21. At that time, I commanded Joshua... You have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you're going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Stunning words. And if that wasn't enough, in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 15, we read this. He said, that's God. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. They are stunning words of victory. And they're ours to hold on to and keep. Let's join and Sue and Steve and the group over there. In worship of that amazing Lord.
2: I say it's quite good, actually. Those words have just really sort of touched my heart. You can listen to them over and over and over again, can't you? And uh, I know they'll just go over your head. But I've just really thought about those. The battle's not yours, but God's. And I've just felt such a peace come over me because I've been really worried about this morning, really nervous. You probably don't think I get nervous, but I do. So I just really thank God this morning just for telling me the battle is His. Not mine. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to take up your offering. Those of you that are new here, um, uh, please don't feel that you've got to put money in the offering. This is for the the family here to uh, support all the work that's going on in this place that we can bring people to know Jesus. So I'd like to stand with us as we sing Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven.
1: got a very simple question for you with possibly a very profound answer. What's your (coughs) family... me, all the bad jokes are coming out now (laughs) I don't know what your family's like maybe it's a very profound question that says you have the most amazing family you sit down for tea and no one ever moans perhaps at lunchtime everybody eats by cutting their food into small chunks no one slurps gravy do they dad doesn't get anything down his tie I don't know what your family's like but mine can be this place where there's an amazing amount of mess, and an amazing amount of joy, and they seem to go together. Is that a reasonable description, do we think? Well, now we come to the joyous, messy bit of the service, which we're going to do as a family. We're going to share in a meal around a table. But before we do that, we want to acknowledge something, actually. We want to acknowledge that, actually, since the last time we did this, a lot of things have happened in this church. A lot of people have been received into membership. So we want to acknowledge that reality right here, right now. So it's a privilege to be able to recognise those folk. So at the last church meeting we had, Steve and Anne and Jules and Laura and Trisha and Paul and Lorraine and Tanya and Carol, unless we forget Timber, along with Jules and Laura, all became part of our church, a church member. Part of that family of members that are here. It's my privilege to be able to welcome them and to do this in a really informal way. But also, I have to say sorry to anyone that's, over the last four years or so, we haven't been able to welcome that way. Because of loads of things, not the least of which is this terrible COVID thing. So I wondered if we could welcome these folk today. Now, some of you might be going, who are they? So I'm going to invite them up to the front. So if, you know, any one of those folk, or if... You are someone that over the last four years I have, uh, we've not been able to welcome in that way. Can can I ask you to come forward? We're going to do something really informal. It's not going to embarrass you, I promise. Okay? But you do need to move out of your seats. (laughs) So, uh, okay, and if, like Sally, we've we've also become a member and we've not done this, just just come on up. It's nothing formal, guys. We're just going to gather in a moment and hopefully do something very informal. Now, why do something informal? I don't know what your family is like. Maybe you guys have got a better opinion than me. But in my family, we don't do this. I'm going to demonstrate with Richard. Okay? We don't go this.
0: Hello, how are
1: you? Is that your family? What, boys and girls, is, is that your family? Is that what happens? No, thank you for doing that. No, we go like this. Hi, Richard, how are you? You all right? Is that your family? Is that more like it? No. No. <laughs> Go on, John, what's your family like? Is it John that said no? Oh, it's from there, no. Families can be messy things. They're different things, aren't they? And we want to say welcome to these folks. So yes, I and Richard are going to come and shake your hand as that sense of welcome into the membership life of the church. I'm going to ask Sue, because Sue's the only one left over there, if we, <laughs> if, if we can play My Jesus, My Saviour again, just gently, and invite, once, as we do this, all of you to come up and welcome them. Now, this will make church messy, because it means not only have they got to get up out of their seats, but so have you. (laughs) They shouldn't be, it's just us. (laughs) Yes, it might be messy, but yes, this is family. So we're going to give the hand of fellowship to these guys in welcome. But before we do all of that, we're going to pray. Because this is church, and we want to give God everything, don't we? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for calling us to be disciples in the fellowship of this church. We thank you one for another. Father God, especially today, we thank you for Tricia and Steve and Anne and Paul and Lorraine, for Jules and Laura, for Sally, for Carol and for Tanya. We thank you for all of us, Lord, that call this place home. That with them and with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may make us more like Jesus Christ. That together, as one, as church family, we may serve you and witness to your redeeming love in the world for which Christ died. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. So this is where it gets messy. Oh, there's two. Sorry. Thank you, Jan, for coming back and joining. <laughs> Sue and Jan are going to lead us in My Jesus, My Saviour. Come and say hello and welcome church family members. My Jesus, my it's lovely to hear all that amazing noise of family together. I don't know about your family round a table, but my family it's a bit like you have to fight hard to get your words in. Is that your family too? <laughs> and if it's... <laughs> and an and actual fact it's also true to say that in, in my family when we gather like that there is also laughter so I'd like to thank Liam for providing the laughter for me this this morning as he reached up his hand and he said oh you new? good to see you <laughs> love thank you Liam for that moment of humor friends we're going to gather around the table of the Lord you can sit down now guys What an expression of family. Because ultimately, family is about one thing. Ultimately, family is about life. A life shared together. And we had a great expression of life shared as church together there. It was lovely to see young and old come and welcome people. But of course, life exists around this table. A table of covenant and remembrance. A table where we remember the foundations of our faith. A simple meal that Jesus has given us. A table where we remember that the battle belongs to him. And quite frankly, friends, a table where we, where we acknowledge that he's already got the victory. And therefore, so have we. This morning, we come around this table as family. Adults and children together. In one sense, we all come as children, don't we? We remember the Lord's love for us, and remember that we share bread and communion wine as we do that. But for the children, it may be that today's the day that their parents say, "Yes, we acknowledge your faith in the Lord. Please share in that bread and wine." But it might also be a day when their parents and others say, "Actually, come be part of the family and share in sharing some grapes, because grapes will become wine one day." So we come to the table. We come because the Lord has invited us. We come because we have a need. We come in remembrance. We come because this is a table of healing. And we all need healing of some sort or another. We come because this is a table of reconciliation. We come because even Thomas ate this meal. Even Judas ate this meal. And in doing so, Jesus reminds us this is his table. We come, therefore, in unity. Let's pray. We come to this table, mighty God, acknowledging that all of us is open to you. Our hearts, our desires the promptings of our spirits. We acknowledge that no secrets are hidden from you. And so we come, and as an act of confession in this moment, we pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us from all of the sins of our lives that is hidden, the thoughts of our hearts that are wrong. Cleanse us from the promptings of the Spirit which we follow and follow others than you. Cleanse us Lord by the inspiration and the power of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and reverently magnify you and bring you all the glory and the honour through the one whose feast this is. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, of the institution of this meal. He says this. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. And when he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's thank God for the bread and the wine. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for these gifts of bread and wine, the symbols of our world, and also signs of your transforming love. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, that as we gather around this table, acknowledge His sacrificial your sacrificial death. Give thanks for your rising to life. Look forward to the glory that we will share when you come again. As we do that, Lord, we pray that we may be renewed into the likeness of Christ, formed into his body and acknowledge in our lives individually and our lives collectively, the battle belongs to the Lord and you have the victory. May these symbols of bread and wine be symbols of victory, we pray, in his name and for his sake. Amen. For those who are uh, helping to serve communion, please come forward now. Okay, if not, can I ask some of the leadership to come and serve? It would be a lovely thing to do that with our, uh, our new members as well. Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we receive the bread, so we will eat, a sign that he's given his life for you, and you are his. Amen. Body of the Lord. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this in memory of me. So we will receive a cup, receive some grapes, and we'll hold on to them, and we'll drink and eat those grapes together. One family under God. During the early church's time, we find this table being visited again and again and again. In fact, Acts suggests that the early disciples did this daily. Why? Because there's one more thing about this table that speaks of the family table. Again, your house might not be mine, but there are times when all but peace surrounds my table but they learn quickly that this is a table of peace. And so I pray over us all that as we in a moment drink this wine together, the peace of the Lord will be ours to hold and to have. The peace of the Lord will underpin us all. The peace of the Lord will give us his understanding. And that we as one family together may uphold each other in peace of the Lord, in the peace of the Lord. This cup where we remember and are thankful for God's love as shown in Christ and his blood that was shed for us. I say let us drink and acknowledge his peace. The peace of the Lord be with you. Drink for his sake. Amen. Let's pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and you brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of victory. May we who share God's body live in his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you set before us. So that, you, so that we and all your children shall be free. And the whole earth will live to praise your name. Know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And that he has won victory. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. I believe our children are going to leave us now. So as they go, let's just pray them on their way. Lovely to see you, lovely to share a meal together. We hear all about what you've been doing a bit uh, later on. Father, we pray peace, the Lord's peace on all of our young people. We thank you, Lord, for them. And we pray that today they may learn of you. The one who holds the battle in his hand and victory is his. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think online you've probably seen a few of them rushing around there. But what what a lovely expression to church that they too have their place and their space and come and be with
0: us. For our prayers of intercession today, we're going to look at one uh, international issue, one national issue and one local issue. Um, When I was looking on my laptop last night thinking, what shall we pray for in terms of world events and things? There's so much, isn't there, to pray for at the moment. Um, but a strange thing happened, and, and I was sort of looking at the BBC News and various other things, and Premier Magazine news feeds and stuff like that. Suddenly, MAF, which we've prayed for before in this church on a Sunday morning, Mission Aviation Fellowship, popped up on my screen, and I don't know why, it just did. I thought, is this the Lord's prompting? And, and I think it probably was, because they sent a news feed out overnight to pray for Haiti, Um, it's something that's not on our minds very often, the the island of Haiti, but the figures speak for themselves, don't they? 58% of the population are under the poverty line. 47 million acutely food insecure, with an increase of kidnappings in 2022 of over 100% compared with the previous year. Um... In, you know, in the last month, this last month, ten of the senators have officially left their office. The main city, Port-au-Prince, two-thirds of that capital city is now under the control of gangs. And really, it is an unsafe place to be for anybody. And yet Mission Aviation Fellowship, are still going out there with their planes and taking aid and assistance. So I thought let's just pray for that, shall we, this morning. Father, we want to thank you again for the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship and for their fleet of small aircraft that takes medical staff and um, medical aid and food resources to difficult places around the world. But this morning we pray especially for Haiti. And we just ask for an end to the gang violence that has now taken control of this country. We pray for a stable government. We pray for a leadership that is able to bring justice and fairness to its people, to the local population. And we pray for aid agencies many of whom have actually withdrawn because of safety issues in recent weeks. We pray for Mission Aviation Aviation Fellowship, that you will protect them, protect their planes, and continue to bless the work that they do in Haiti in these very dangerous times. Lord, we lift this country to you. Ask that you will intervene. That your work in the hearts of those who carry guns and kill, Lord, that there will be peace, and most of all, there will be a turning to you, the Prince of Peace. Amen. For our national thing, I just thought we'd good good to pray for Evangelical Alliance. This. Church is a member of Evangelical Alliance, and I myself are personal members of Evangelical Alliance, and I'm sure several of you here this morning are. But, you know, in the last year, they've done an amazing work. Um, 80 TV and radio appearances um, uh, on things to do with ethics and the Christian perspective on political issues. They've trained up 27 younger people uh, for public leadership, uh, either in politics or in local radio and things like that, they've uh, hosted 90 or so uh, leadership conferences. Um, there's, uh, uh, the, they're sponsoring around about 6,000 young people in other different ways, um, and they do a great work in Westminster. Uh, they have teams that actually work in in the corridors of power, uh, um, working as internships, if you like, um, to help to engage with political things. And often when in Parliament uh, in, in Westminster they have discussion groups on uh, political issues like gender issues or education or, or um, 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 armed services and things like that, um, When there's a, the Evangelical Alliance often bring a paper that brings a Christian perspective to these very important high-level discussions. do amazing work. So I thought, let's just pray for EA this morning. Father, well, thank you for the work they do. Thank you, Lord, that they are a strong Christian voice in the media for a Christian perspective on so many political and moral issues. And Lord, we just pray for the work they do, Lord, that they will work with training young people, training those who are, of, uh, political, um, who are looking for a political careers, careers in politics. Uh, in, and we pray for, for the training they do in leadership generally. And we pray for the p- papers of the intelligent and well-researched papers that they often submit to MPs. We pray, Lord, for the, 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 um, the broadcasts and interviews that represent- representatives of EA give on television and radio. And Lord, we just ask that this work will continue to be supported by the sponsors and, Lord, that our country will continue to listen to a reasoned and intelligent Christian perspective on so many moral issues and political issues that we face today. So we lift to you this morning the work of EA. Amen. And finally for ourselves, as you see, we've had a whole bunch of us here this morning committing um, our, our, our um, co- uh, what, making our commitments public to the life of this church and this expression of Christian faith here in Minod, here in this fellowship. So I thought it's good, good to pray for ourselves and for um, our giftings and the people that uh, are committed to spreading the gospel from Minor Baptist Church. Father, we want to thank you uh, for our, our new members at, this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, that each of us brings a gift or gifts. And we want to thank you that even the least gift is the one that needs to be the most uh, looked after and cared for. And Lord, we all have a contribution to, 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 to this, this fellowship this morning. And we just pray, Lord, we pray that uh, the walls will literally come down, Uh, Not in a physical way, but, Lord, that the walls, in a sense, of, of our worship, of our mission, of our passion for you and for the work in this community, Lord, it will be seen in my head. And, Lord, that you will pour upon us a fresh enthusiasm for the gospel and, Lord, for reaching this town in Jesus' name. Lord, take each one of us this morning, new members or old members alike, Lord, and put fire in our belly. Words on our lips of passion and of gospel and, Lord, a, a brave, a, a, a courage to pray over people and to pray for healing, to pray for deliverance. And, Lord, to pray your guidance into people's lives. Lord, make us people, uh, able spokesmen, able witnesses for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
2: The reading is from Joshua 6, the fall of Jericho. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the Ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early. At the dawn of day, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city, and the city and all is." but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who'd been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them in outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy at Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at this time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall be, he lay his foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land.
1: But they say you should start every message with good news. Here's the good news. You won't be here till half past, tw- half past 11. Is that okay? I hope that's good news. It was lovely to welcome those amazing group of people earlier on. And I say amazing because who knows what God is going to do with us. You and I. You and them. Together. What I do know is that reading from Joshua chapter 6. We read, do we not, in that that, uh, passage of the Israelites on the way to the promised land. Yet there's a problem. Jericho stands in the way. And just before that reading from Joshua chapter 6, we hear of the commander of the Lord or the captain of the Lord, depending upon your version of scripture, talking with Joshua. And he tells him to follow a battle plan. Joshua from that moment on, is determined to follow God's battle plan rather than his own. Well, hold on a minute, this is Jericho. So what's Jericho like? Well, it was a city. It had been built thousands of years before Joshua was even born. It's well established. In fact, at this point of time, this is one of the oldest cities in the world. The place was a fortress, The walls, just to let you know, were 25 foot high. And in case you wonder, they were 20 foot thick. This is not like your garden wall at home, unless you've got a very big garden. This place is fortified. And from those walls, because of where Jericho is, soldiers could see for miles around the plains. You couldn't surprise them. In fact... For the Canaanites, Jericho was the symbol of military might and strength and power. Their own writings of the time would suggest that they con- considered it invincible. <coughs> and you go, God wants to do what? He wants us to do what? Imagine if God said to you, Dear Minehead Baptist Church, what I want you to do is to go round the town. I want you to find a trumpeter, you know, a really good one. And I want you to take a cross, and I want you to walk around the town for six days. And by the way, I don't want you to say a word. Hold on a minute. Not even to the person that comes up and says, what are we doing? Not a word. And they do it, don't they, according to scripture, without the slightest moan. (coughs) I wonder. If God said that to this church, how many of us would decide that we couldn't go because we were too busy? God's battle plan. Oh, and by the way, if you remember what we said about the walls, they're doing this, they're going around once a day, and these soldiers are standing on top of the walls. They're about 25 foot above their head, and they're armed. Anyone walking around like that, around the outside of the walls, is vulnerable. You are vulnerable to attack. In fact, you're a sitting duck. Now, in military terms, and in terms of a strategic plan, it's madness, isn't it? Pure madness. Why would you want to do that? Well, it's God's plan. And just... As when they cross the Jordan, the ark's going to go before them. Friends, I want to say this to you. It's true of them and it's true of us. God will lead them into battle because he's assured the victory. And whatever God has in store for us, we can be assured of victory because he, it is his plan. The only time we're going to get into trouble is when we go our way. Rather than his way. And God had a plan. And his plan's a good one. Although we don't see it. Basically, his plan is this. If Israel attacked this city first, which is the fortress of Canaan, then that would put the fear of Israel into every single person in Canaan. Now, the Canaanites saw God, Israel's God, in a bit of a different way to what do. They saw him as a nature God. They knew he was that. After all, he'd parted the Red Sea, hadn't he? And the Israelites had walked through. And if you remember Rahab's words of last week, he was also a god of war. They defeated Sion and Og. Remember, Remember those passages we read? But the Canaanites did not consider him a fortress god. This was just a god among gods. He wasn't powerful enough or strong enough to break in and prevail against the great walled city. Isn't that like the world today? It doesn't matter, the world says, what religion you follow. All gods are equal. Is that true? No. They say the gods you read about in the Bible, that's all right for you, but not for me. That's not God. So no big deal if you change what scripture says. No big deal if you change it to bend and suit you and your circumstances. Indeed, you can even invent your own God if you like. That's okay, we're all right with that. Truth of that, all of those statements is that instead of making God the centre and it being about his battle plan, it makes you the centre of your own universe and about your battle plan. And that's true of church. We can either go God's way, we can go our way. In Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites chose God's way what about you what about me what about us it's rather comfortable to take the view of I'm the center because if I do then I can declare that Jesus is Lord God I want to follow you all my days and then frankly go back on Monday morning or more likely in my case on Sunday afternoon because it doesn't last that long to cheat and lie and grumble and gossip and what about you do that, nothing changes. And bluntly, you let nothing change. And you let him change nothing. Is he God to you? Or is he just another God? Awesome God or not? Do you believe that's who he is? So the truth of this is something amazing is happening. If I see this account clearly, then we see it happening. The walls of Jericho are coming down, and I want to declare, without tapping the walls, which someone told me I'd done too many times in the week, and I won't do again, thank you for that person, because I took you honestly, but I'm going to do it metaphorically. If we want these walls to come down, then quite frankly, we need to let the walls of our lives down first. Because the Lord wants to do in minehead what he did in Jericho. He doesn't just want to take the walls down. Sally used that word collapsed, I think, in that reading. In reality, you could also say crumble. 20 foot thick walls that will crumble. Why? Because in your life, in my life, in this church life, God longs to break down the walls and the barriers that divide us, individually and collectively, and longs for them to be gone. Let's stop for a moment and ask another question. Are you listening to God this morning? Are you? Indeed, if this morning someone came up with a prophetic word and told us to do the unimaginable that I've already said we should, to walk around the town seven times at the cross, would we go? Would we get up of our seats and follow him? Or would we say, oh, I'm at the newcomer's lunch. Can't do that, might be late for the roast. Or some version thereof. What would you do? Remember her? Ruby Bridges. That amazing six-year-old girl who walked into school and broke the wall of racism that existed in all the white schools in the deep south of America in the 1960s. What an amazing, inspirational story, but the question remains, how did she do it? How did that happen? In order for you to understand that, You have to think of what she did. How do you get to that situation where day after day, you are going into this situation, in her case the school, and you are being abused, daily abused? Not just outside school, but inside school. How do you do that? You must first let God take the walls of your own life down. And Ruby did it. Indeed, God took the walls of her mum's life down as well. And you're going to say to me, how? Show me. Well, it is possible, and indeed it is what happened. And just to prove it to you, do you remember the amazing conversation that mum had with her before the first day she started school? But her mum told her that Jesus too had to run the mob and that his solution was to pray blessing on them and not to curse them. As this amazing six-year-old accepted that that was the moment ruby's wall came down cuz that was the moment that she accepted to do this would mean to go god's way not her way oh that this church that you and i may learn the lesson of a 6 year old girl from 1960s the deep south of america may we learn her lesson well what about you Is your faith that deep and dynamic that you'll let God bring the walls of your life down? You're going to do that this morning? Or are you sitting there thinking, well, that's lovely, but I love my own ways. Thank you very very much. Stick to your battle plan, which incidentally, friends, has not worked thus far, has it, despite your years of trying? What do you want to do? Today's the day. The Lord is saying to you and me, choose, make a choice, choose me. I don't know, marching somehow once around the walls, once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day, sounds like you may say, you're better Christians than me, I get that. But the reality is, I think that's a really weird thing to do. And I would go, you're what, Lord? Wouldn't you? But both of the account of the battle at Jericho and Ruby's, Ruby's own stories teach us something profound. Here it is. Okay? If you get nothing else out of this morning, remember this little phrase, please. Can you read it? When you follow God and you're willing to do the ridiculous, God will do the miraculous. Now, I'm not going to suggest that God's going to make us all look foolish, but if he does, foolish for the gospel's sake, hallelujah. When you follow God and you're willing to do the ridiculous, God will do the miraculous. It's a cool phrase. And if you don't like it, my apologies, but I absolutely do. Are we prepared, dear church, to let the Lord do whatever he wants? Over the weeks and over the last few months, we've spoken about taking the walls down here. How? We must first let him take the walls of our own lives down first. Because of something else that those Israelites learnt. Off they went. Ark, priests, trumpets in front. Who's leading the army Is it the soldiers? No. It's the priests carrying the ark. In other words, God's at the front. This is not about anything other than his victory. It's his battle plan, his victory, and their great military victory, which is what this is, will depend upon spiritual submission. If we want a victory for the Lord here in terms of the mission that Steve prayed about, thank you, Steve, If we want that, then we have to spiritually submit to the Lord whose victory it is. Do you want to do that? Well, you're not so sure. But I want to do that. I stood here a while ago and I said I would never ever again. Do you remember this? I didn't want any kind of milk, spiritual milk in my life. I wanted spiritual solids. Welcome to the first spiritual solid. If you want to go God's way, you've got to submit to him spiritually. Let's do it then. How? You can sum this up in five minutes. Here's the good news for those of you that thought you'd be here long listening to me. We're going to sum it up in those minutes. You need to take down the wall of pride. got to take down that wall of pride. God hates pride, unequivocally, and no way around it. God hates pride. And if you want to know how much he hates pride, read Isaiah chapter 14, where you discover that Satan fell because of pride. It seems to me to be top of his hit parade in terms of the things he likes. Does God have a hit parade? You get what I mean. And you can read about that in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. You'll see that God hates anything literally anything that gets you in the way of your relationship with him and pride does in contrast when we let the Lord deal with our pride something amazing happens do you know what the opposite of pride is according to the Oxford English Dictionary anyone want to guess any English scholars amongst us Absolutely. humility thank you bless you yeah the opposite of pride is humility. Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And that word meek in many Bibles is translated humble. Or as Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 6-7, to 7, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due course. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Friends, the walls of pride have got to come down. And then another wall, the wall of discontent. Quick straw poll. If you drive a car, can you put your hand in air? Okay, so the reason I've done this is because what I'm about to ask you. Did you know that according to the um, highway code tailgating is when you drive too, you need to keep your hand in the air, sorry guys, tailgating is when you drive too close to the person in front of you, such that they cannot stop in an emergency. Did you know that's the definition? If you want to know how I know, because Tommy Pratt, the guy that's coming here, is doing his highway code test, I don't know how he got on, but I will let you know. The reality is, that's tailgating. Would you keep your hand in the air if you are one of those people that tailgates? Otherwise, put them down. (laughs) Well, I think, Sally, that means that you and I, most tailgators must live in Pagnell Road. <laughs> Hold on a minute. The is. Sorry? How the is, no, not according to the highway code, Steve. Sorry, you can't get away with that. <laughs> uh, just in case you wonder online, Steve said it depends how slow the driver is. Well, that's not the highway code, my friend. I'm going to make a suggestion to go home and read it. <laughs> you have to adhere to the two-second rule. You have to No, only a fool breaks the two-second rule in the Bible. Anyway, that's another story (laughs) altogether. And the only reason I know that is because you get my drift with Tommy, I've I've read it. But the truth of this is, isn't it amazing? Where do all the tailgaters live? (laughs) Pagnell Road. (laughs) Isn't it funny, though? Bluntly, what that tells us is a silly little way of showing you something. It's always someone else, isn't it, who does things they shouldn't? always someone else that does that sort of thing surely always someone else in church that's critical or moaning or groaning it's always somebody else that spreads gossip I was just passing facts on it's always always somebody else never you, never you, never me how often have we done that and justified our act by saying it was for everybody's good I'm just telling them for their own good I can't tell you because I don't know, okay, how many times as a pastor someone has come to me and said something like, Paul, I need to share with you. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me moaning about a variety of things. The coffee's, I've had this here, I'll just give you one. The coffee's too strong. Another person, the coffee's too weak. I can't tell you, and I've had bigger moans than that at other places, don't get me wrong, my head's lovely, but you get my drift. I can count on the fingers of my hands the number of people who've come and said, Paul, I want you to help me to moan less. I want you to help me to criticise less. I want you to help me to love more. If you want to let the walls of the church down, friends, we've got to start to let the walls of discontent between us Go, and they will today. Then there's the walls of a lack of faith. They had faith, didn't they, these Israelites? Hebrews 1.11, now, faith is confidence in which we hope for and reassurance about what we do not see, and you can read the rest. Amazing. Are you prepared to trust God's plan? I wonder. Or 2 Timothy 1.12, which finishes with some amazing words. I know whom I've believed and am convinced that he is able to guard which I have entrusted to him until that day. And yes, I know some of you are doing the song already. But it's a truism, it's truth. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We've got to take down the walls of the lack of faith. How do you do that? You simply let God have control. And if I'm being honest, I found a lovely way expressed on the internet of how to put that. Perhaps the second thing to remember today. Never put a question mark where God has put a full stop. It's a lovely expression, isn't it? Because it reminds us that God sometimes says something and we go, really? You must be serious, we say. Okay, friends, the reality is there is only one last bit to this. We must be serious. We must learn the lesson of Joshua. If we're going to take the walls down in our lives, in the life of our church, we must be determined to do something about it. And all you have to do is let go. And let God. And there's a reason. Sally read that bit at the end of Joshua, which is quite a tough bit to read, really. It's got some things in it. We go, What is going on? But at its heart, there is something very profound. It is this. As you look at Joshua, think of verse 26. Joshua tells them, Don't rebuild the walls. And the number of times I have been in church and God has challenged me on a Sunday so I'm talking personally now to take down the walls and I've done so and the phone's rung mid-afternoon and I've put them back up again. I cannot tell you how often that's happened. Today, I invite you and invite myself to let the walls come down and do not rebuild them. But bluntly, friends, if we want the walls behind me, still resist the temptation to knock down them. To fall down. And for this town to be Jesus, we have to be serious to our commitment to Christ and let the walls of our own life down and let them stay down. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as I am personally challenged by that story of Joshua, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters in Christ here that we will remember that if we follow you and are willing to do whatever you say, including the ridiculous, that you will do the miraculous. I commit myself once again to submitting to you, acknowledging that the victory in Christ depends upon my spiritual submission to you. I acknowledge that I need to bring down the walls of pride, the walls of discontent, the walls of lack of faith, and the walls of disobedience in my life. And this morning, in this moment, I lay them down. I let them come down. And I commit myself once again, but Lord, this time, I pray, I commit myself once again, not just to laying those walls down, but to never building them up again. May the walls have been laid down. And may we leave those walls as the walls of Jericho would have been, collapsed, a reminder that God's is the victory, his is the battle plan. He is our leader, our Lord, our Master, our Saviour and our friend. The battle belongs to the Lord. The victory belongs to the Lord. The walls in our lives have crumbled. Now let's go take the walls of the church down. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so we finish with the words we began with in Deuteronomy chapter 3. At that time, I commanded Joshua, and I want to add, and brackets, all you at NBC, close brackets. You have seen with your own eyes, heard with your own ears. All that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all kingdoms over there where you are going. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. And so this week, whatever battle you face, I declare the battle belongs to the Lord. And whatever problem you have, I declare over your life that the victory is his. And in acknowledging the one who wins the battle and the fact that he's already won, may this week you have a week filled with peace that passes your understanding and puts you in the heart of God's understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: leave a comment please go to minehead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well thank you once again for listening and I'll speak to you soon.